Chapter 11, Amravati. Softly, Matali, who is the charioteer of Indra himself, flew down into a vast courtyard outside the palace of the king of the Devas. As Arjuna alighted from the Vimana, Vimana means chariot, he saw the Sadhyas, the Vishwas, the Maruts, the Ashwin twins, and the mighty Brahmarishis. Brahmarishis are the divine sages. Indra came slowly down the white steps of his palace. Around his ankles, five white leopards padded. His arms opened wide and his face wreathed in a smile. Indra came to greet his son. Welcome, cried the lord of Devaloka. He embraced Arjuna and sniffed the top of his head like any father. The others were struck by the likeness between father and son and how splendid the Kshatriya of the earth was. Here Arjuna seemed every bit a Deva himself. After the Pandavas stepped out of the Vimana, the world around him seemed less exotic than it had while they flew over it. Even the luminescence of Devaloka was now a quieter thing, unobtrusive. But he still felt he could float away at any moment, out of himself, on any of the numinous legends that lurked just beneath the surface of this world, the dreams of which all this world was made. Gandharvas and Apsaras had come with Indra, and they went singing up the wide stairway into the palace. This was an exceptional day in Amravati, when Indra's son had come to his father's house for the first time. And what a welcome he had from the immortals of Devaloka. A little dazed, Arjuna allowed Indra to lead him into the Sabha of Amravati, the stunning Sudharma. Arjuna had thought he would come to this place as a humble mortal, summoned here by a lofty god. Instead, he found himself feeling at home. Best of all, he was not being treated like an outsider, an inferior, but a prince of heaven as Indra's son, which only now Arjuna began to realize was who he was. Indra led him to the throne that is worshipped by Devas and Rishis, the Lokapalas and all the immortal races, Siddhas, Gandharvas and Apsaras, Charanas and Kimpurushas. It was carved from a single blood-red ruby, fringed in gold and crystal. Indra sat on that huge throne, the leopards at his feet, and called Arjuna to sit beside him. <coughs> The Pandava knew Indra would never ask him to sit upon that sacred throne unless it was his rightful place. Arjuna took his place. Now the Gandharvas set up a song. Arjuna had never heard anything like it before, so hauntingly sad yet full of joy. The tall Gandharvas played on flutes and plucked on sonorous veenas. Veena is this stringed instrument. Um, and their voices were so exquisite that he wanted to cry. And since the great elves sang in a tongue of heaven he did not understand, he whispered to Indra, What are they singing? What does it mean? With a smile Indra replied, It is a song about a father and a son who have been separated for many years. The father yearns for the boy, but they cannot meet for reasons of destiny beyond their control. The song tells of how at last they meet briefly and are parted again almost at once. Something in the Deva's voice brought Arjuna up sharply. When he glanced at his face, he saw tears in Indra's eyes, tears of sorrow and joy, just like in the Gandharva's song. The song ended and everyone in the Sabha applauded. The five musicians who had sung and the five who had played with them stood up, solemn and beautiful. They bowed. Indra made a sign that they should approach his throne and opening a box of precious trinkets beside him, he rewarded each one, telling them, I was moved by your song. Those elves bowed deeply and one of them said, Today it seems there are two Indras in Amravati. Another, took up, uh, another song took up in the Sudharma, now entirely festive, and the Apsaras of Devaloka, 
Koros Nimfarum shimmered him on feet light as wishes. Their dance was unutterably graceful and later swift past excuse me, swift past the scope of the eye. So they would appear to be in more places than one or two at the same time. Though only ten Apsaras came to dance for king and son, at the climactic sections of the performance it seemed like they were a hundred. Arjuna sat hardly breathing. How would he describe this to his brothers when he returned to them? At times the Pandava felt he could see music between his eyes, and at others he felt strangely that he heard the, da- he heard the dancers' bodies, that their movements actually became the song they danced to. And those Apsaras were so beautiful. Not Draupadi or Subhadra could match these women. These are two of his wives. Their beauty was of another ilk. Indra pointed out Menaka, who's you know legendary, famous Apsara, one of the most beautiful creatures in creation, who once enchanted Vishwamitra, the great sage. Dusky Rambha danced for Arjuna, and his father today, peerless Tilottama and Urvashi, who was perhaps the most seductive of all the nymphs. When Urvashi saw the Kshatriya of the earth, her eyes never left him. Indra did not fail to notice this. He saw that Arjuna also stared at this Apsara more than any other dancer. Indra gave no sign that he was aware of the attraction between the two, one of heaven, the other of earth. The performance was over and the Apsaras danced their way out of the Sabha, anklets murmuring at the hushed end of the Gandharva's song. Again the leader of the musicians, the tall one, came forward to acknowledge the applause of the Deva king. Arjuna, Indra said, Arjuna, this is Chitrasena. I think you both shall be friends. Arjuna rose and Chitrasena took his hand and then embraced him with a laugh crying, Yes, we shall. Indra said, Chitrasena, however gifted they may be, human warriors do not learn singing and dancing. It seems they consider it a slur on their manliness. The Gandharvas are the finest warriors on heaven and earth, yet most of all we are musicians. Song is what we live for. Indra replied, Arjuna, I want you to learn music and dancing from Chitrasena. You will not find a better master anywhere. What do you say, Gandharva? Will you teach my son? It will be an honor. I watched him while we sang. There is music in him, my lord. He will make a fine pupil. A deep gong sounded. Indra rose and took Arjuna's hand. We don't want you going hungry after your long journey. Come. The great dining hall was full of illustrious guests today. The banquet was to welcome Indra's son to Amravati. Dark and bright folk sat at Indra's feast. They were, there were Gandharvas, of course, for Devaloka is always full of these blithe ones. Then there were Apsaras, Kimpurushas, Centaurs, some of whom had flown here from Earth's lofty mountains where they love to be, and Kinara fawns. There were serpent lords, Nagas with emerald skins, and a host of other extraordinary beings who put Arjuna in mind that humankind was indeed a very small part of creation, whatever men themselves may think. And history was much vaster than we imagined, with our petty concerns and conflicts. Every face in Indra's dining hall had deep tales etched on them by time, softening them, making them wise and strong. Arjuna could not begin to think what the experiences of that gathering might have been. Indeed, he could not calculate how old most of these present were. He told himself one could not judge Amravati by the earth's norms, not even remotely. Yet they were all warm and affectionate. Arjuna sat beside his father at the head of the high table. The food arrived and its aromas were divine. It seemed countless courses came, each superbly finished and served up on crystal salvers. They were all truly works of art. Arjuna could not have guessed what many of the delicacies he tasted that day were. 
nor did he much want to. <clears throat> Suddenly he found he was ravenous. After all, it was the first real meal he was eating since he set off on his quest from the Kamyaka Vana. Vana means forest. The Pandava did justice with Indra watching over his son, taking the dishes from the servitors and serving Arjuna himself. There were succulent fruits and rice with longer grains than the Pandava had ever seen and some delectable fish. And falling too, the Kshatriya was reminded of the aphorism of a legendary philosopher, Umbhima Bhima, his older brother who loved to eat, never tired of quoting that eating was the first of all pleasures. Wine flowed, poured in tiny goblets that held no more than a mouthful each. Nine or ten different kinds were served, and none more than once. Arjuna thought he saw flashes of silver or gold dust or starlight in some of them. They were, they were heady despite the minute quantities in which they were poured, many times as strong as the wines of the earth. And they were delicious, full of all sorts of fine fires and streams. The wine focused his mind, and when he had drunk a few glasses, Arjuna felt exhilarated. He was actually here in Amravati, sitting beside his natural father who was the king of the Devas. When the meal was over, a deep languor came over the Pandava. He remembered that he had not slept since his encounter with Shiva. Indra rose and said gently, I fear we have worn you out in our excitement to see you. You need to sleep. Come, I will show you your apartment. Indra led Arjuna out of the dining hall, down an airy passage and through a courtyard full of flowers. At the end of that courtyard were the finest apartments in the palace. He kept them for his most special visitors, the ones nearest his heart. He kept the door opened at the Deva's touch and inside were the most luxurious rooms. When he saw the huge soft bed in the second room from the door, the Pandava said wryly, I could sleep for a day and a night. Indra seemed overcome that his son was with him. He embraced Arjuna, kissed him on both cheeks and the top of his head. The Deva said, Sleep for as long as you can, my son, and may your dreams be full of peace. Indra left him and the Pandava fell on the bed and was asleep at once. His dreams were indeed full of light and peace. Chapter 12 The Weapons of Indra Full joyful days Arjuna spent in his father's house in Amravati and it seemed to the Pandava that the days here were interminable. For of course one day and night in Indra's Devaloka are equal to a year on earth below. The day being as long as the summer and the night as long as winter. But day and night in Devaloka were not as sharply divided as on earth. It was never entirely light or dark here, but a mixture of both. It did not do in unearthly Amravati to think too long about the wonders of the place, because these were everywhere. Arjuna spent a lot of time with Chitrasena the Gandharva, and mortal man and immortal elf became close friends. They roamed the lively streets of Amravati together. The Gandharva showed the Pandava other parts of Devaloka, also in his own sleek disk of the sky. The fields of heaven where grasses of spirit fire grew in echoing colors. The two unlikely friends ranged with the lustrous winds of the outer reaches plucking at their faces. Chitrasena also became Arjuna's guru. He taught the Kshatriya to play on the delicate veena. He taught him singing and dancing. Arjuna learned all these with talent that made even Indra marvel. The Gandharvas are masters of music and they are masters of teaching music as well. And Chitrasena was among the finest musicians in Amravati. Indra announced that soon he would have another feast in the palace. There was a wide field at one end of Indra's palace and here the Deva gave Arjuna lessons at archery. 
the final touches to a profound education. Day by day, the God imparted the secrets of the Devastras to his mortal son. And he was delighted at how exceptional a pupil Kunti's prince was. Quite simply, he had never seen an archer like the Pandava. One day, Indra called Arjuna and they walked together to the end of the interminable field. When they arrived under a tall white tree there, Indra stopped. I have given you all the astras I have. I have just one more weapon for you. Indra, uh, Arjuna felt his skin tingle. He knew what that final weapon was. Indra said, I want to give you my Vajra, his, uh, like his staff. Sorry? His, uh, well, it's basically his thunderbolt. Once I sheared the wings from the mountains of the earth with it, with, with it I sent forth thunder and lightning into clouds and make the rain fall. Twilight fell over Amravati and Indra stood revealed in glory before his son. In his hands he held a blinding ayudha, a thunderbolt of a thousand joints of adamant, pulsing and elemental. Arjuna knelt before his father. Indra said in a voice that was the rumbling of the clouds of the pralaya. Pralaya is a Sanskrit word which technically means the end of the universe. Son of Kunti, receive my Vajra. Bravely, Arjuna held out his hands. A hush fell all over Devaloka as the father placed the awesome weapon in his son's human palm. Arjuna felt no weight at all of the shining Vajra. It might have been made of imagination. Then Indra spoke a mantra more ancient than the earth and the Vajra entered the Kshatriya's body and his spirit. The thunderbolt of the Lord of Devaloka was Arjuna's to use in the war he must fight against evil in the world below upon the crack of the ages. The pale and ancestral tree above them from whose seeds the eldest trees of the earth were once born was full of deep whispering. A powerful intuition of destiny stirred in Arjuna. Chapter 13 The Apsara Urvashi It's unfinished business. <laughs> full indeed were Arjuna's days in Amravati. What he learned from Indra and Chitrasena was incalculable. In Kunti's son not only became a master of weapons, but of music and dance as well. And he grew in Amravati by the ethereal tutelage of the spirit. From here, the concerns of the world below might have seemed distant, even insignificant. But Arjuna yearned for his brothers. He thought of them often and most of all of Panchali, Draupadi, his wife. He also realized from stories of battle fought long ago that Chitrasena would tell him and from epic songs the Gandharva sang that Amravati was not always full of grace and peace. Great wars had been fought in Devaloka against forces of darkness so malignant they were beyond Arjuna's understanding. He knew that here also there were times that were good and others that were evil. There had been times when some invincible Asura or other demon and his fell legions uh, brought his fell legions to Amravati, routed Indra's army and usurped his throne. Anguished days would follow, the devas cast out from their home, their women forced to lie for eons in demons' beds. Deva and Gandharva, Kinara, Siddha, Charana and Naga were driven into exile, or at times kept as slaves in their own city, while the evil ones who conquered them assumed power over all their dominions, including the earth. Indra heard tales of how Agni, Soma, Surya, Vayu, Varuna, Kubera and Indra himself had to relinquish their lordship of the elements to monstrous Danavas, who then pervaded the three realms with darkness and strife. Those were sinister days when heaven and earth seemed with devils and all things of light and love were eclipsed. 
When Arjuna lived in Amravati, there was someone in that city smitten by the Pandava prince since the moment she set eyes on him. She neither ate nor slept or had a moment's peace for wanting him in her soft bed, her deep arms. Urvashi, the Apsara, was stricken with love for the Kshatriya from the earth. She told herself it was an absurd fascination. She had better beware. He was Indra's son. The Deva would be furious with her if she seduced the Pandava. Besides, Arjuna was already married to two women. He was a mortal, and love between a mortal man and a nymph of Devaloka violated the dharma of heaven and earth. But Urvashi was helpless to resist the pang she felt, and it was consuming her. She had to have him for at least a night, no matter if she never saw him again, no matter if he broke her heart. Nothing else counted anymore. Dark Arjuna haunted her every moment. By the way, he has more than two wives. I think that was either misprinted the book or she was misinformed. <laughs> so, you know, he goes on that 12-year journey of his, at least. One day when her yearning became intolerable and she thought of stealing into the Pandava's apartment that night, Indra sent Chitrasena with a message for Urvashi. The Deva king had noticed how the Apsara gazed at Arjuna. Indra had seen how his son stared back at Urvashi. He allowed this passion to simmer for a while, to grow in denial of what it desired. When he saw that Urvashi was pale with it, he called Chitrasena one morning, shortly after he had given Arjuna the Vajra. Indra said to the Gandharva, I did not want Arjuna to be distracted until I had given him all the astras, but unless he tastes love in Devaloka, he won't have tasted our kingdom's sweetness. The canny elf knew what was coming. Command me, Lord, to which Apsara shall I take your message? Chitrasena, can it be you can it be that you haven't noticed which Apsara's gaze clings to my son, as a Rishi's mind does to his dhyana? Can it be, Gandharva, you haven't noticed to which Apsara's face Arjuna's eyes turn, as if he has no will to stop them? Chitrasena replied with a smile, What message shall I take to Urvashi? Tell her I said she may go to my son tonight, and let it be a night he will never forget. Indra paused. Chitrasena asked, Is there anything else, my lord? Out of a reverie, Indra replied, You had better hurry, because she has made up her mind to visit him tonight anyway. Usually she robs us men of sense and sleep. It is gratifying to see Urushi bleary-eyed from thinking of my son. He is handsome, my lord, and accomplished beyond what most devas are, said the Gandharva. And, and, and as always, as, as has always been between heaven and earth, he attracts her because he is mortal. Indra sighed, yes, this is true. But hurry now, Chitrasena. Tell Urvashi that not only do I approve of her seeing Arjuna tonight, I am asking her to. Chitrasena bowed and began to leave when his king said in a lighter vein, and don't tarry with her, you are always susceptible to her charms. <laughs> Chitrasena went out with a song on his lips, musing about how once he became her lover, the Pandava would tear himself away from Urvashi when the time came for him to return to the earth Chitrasena arrived at the Apsara's palace. He said to her woman who opened the door for him, I must see your mistress at once. I bring her an urgent message from Indra. He was shown to a private chamber where the Apsara received visitors. He waited a short while when Urvashi came in. Helplessly, the Gandharva felt the tremor that unsettled him each time he saw her up close. Amravati could boast of many women of exceptional beauty. Rambha, Menaka and Tilottama were among Indra's subjects. But now, to Chitrasena's mind, the Apsara Urvashi was the loveliest of them all. There was a fever in her eyes today, a pang of love heightened her complexion, 
making her more irresistible than ever. She was not only supremely beautiful, Urvashi's was a strong presence and she was almost as tall as the Gandharva. Only her eyes betrayed the unrest she felt as she took his hand and said with a bewitching smile, This is a rare honor. What brings the lord of the Gandharvas to my house? You have come yourself rather than send a messenger. Enjoying the cool, delicious touch of her fingers, the elf said, I come as a messenger myself. Whose messenger, Chitrasena? Indra sends you a message. Distractedly, she said, Tell me our king's message. Smile touched Chitrasena's eyes. Indra asks you to visit his son tonight. She gasped. Is this true? Does he really ask this of me? Indeed he does. He said to me, Tell her she has my blessing. Let their love not be darkened with fear, but let them be in complete sweetness and abandon with each other. So waste no more time. Bathe quickly, make yourself even more beautiful and go to Arjuna. How I envy him tonight. Urvashi squeezed the Gandharva's hand gratefully. He bowed and left her. Urvashi ran into her bedroom crying to her women, Draw a bath for me. Some hours later a burning moon rose into the night. Clad in a gown so sheer the curves of her body were quite plain by the bronze light, which fell on her like a lover, Urvashi made her way to Indra's palace. The pendant at her throat winked back sapphire, emerald and pearl at the moon. She wore wildflowers of Devaloka in her long hair and their scents were all of desire. Urvashi the Apsara, one of the most beautiful women of all time, went forth to love. Some Siddhas and Charanas stared at her helplessly as she glided through the moon-drenched streets, her hips swaying. She was truly a dream and she meant to invade Arjuna's sleep. Her heart in her mouth to think of his mortal's touch, she arrived at his apartment. Her hands were moist with excitement, her golden body covered in a film like dew. She hesitated a moment at the door and stood there like a breathing idol. A youth assigned to look after Arjuna came out. The poor fellow trembled to see Urvashi, her breast heaving slightly, not from any exertion yet, but in anticipation. The boy said, My lady, what brings you here at this hour? Regal again at once, with no trace in her voice of the storm within, Urvashi replied, Tell Arjuna I have come to see him. Tell him his father Indra sent me. The boy bowed and turned to go, but she called softly after him. Tell him also that I came because I wanted to. Asking her in, the youth went off, his eyes knowing. She mopped her face with a gossamer handkerchief. In a moment that seemed a whole night of Amravati to her, the boy came back. My master is asleep. Will you return tomorrow or shall I awaken him? A flash of annoyance in her haughty eyes, then she softened again. Show me where he sleeps. I will wake him myself. The youth hesitated, but only for a moment after the glare she gave him. He said meekly, Follow me, my lady. He led her through three capacious rooms, fragrant with incense, and down a tall passage until they arrived at a closed door. The boy paused, paused at that door. Urvashi said to him, Do you know who I am? Blushing, he stammered, The Devi, Urvashi. She gave him a smile to make his heart sing and said archly, Now leave me. He melted away into the shadows of the passage. Urvashi pushed open the door and glided into Arjuna's bedroom. Moonlight flowed in through the lofty windows set along the far wall. Between her and the windows was the bed on which Arjuna lay fast asleep. For a long moment Urvashi stood utterly still and all she heard was her own heart beating. She pulled the door shut behind her and went towards the sleeping Pandava. The cover he had worn over himself had fallen away but she saw he wore no cloth upon his chest. Arjuna slept with his lips parted, breathing evenly. She felt weak. 
she could not wait anymore, but she must touch him at once. She bent down and laid her tremulous hand on the dark skin of his chest. In a swoon, she stroked him with her fingertips. Arjuna opened his eyes and sat up with a cry. The moonlight shone through her gown, so no part of her was hidden from him. She heard him catch his breath sharply, and she stood there offering herself in silence. Arjuna breathed. Devi, how are you here at this hour? He dared hardly look at her for the effect she had on him. He could see her fair breasts with their long buds. He could see her whirlpool of a navel above hips flaring out from a waist around which he could join his hands, and below the shadow nestling between her thighs. Urvashi the Apsara seemed made of moonlight, desire, and little else, and poor Arjuna's heart lurched wickedly. Her laugh tinkled through the room, through the moonlight, right through him. She was nervous herself, if not as flustered as a dark archer who stood before her, anxious as a boy. She said, I have come to serve you, my prince. Your father sent me. A pause, and then in a voice full of velvet wildness, and I wanted to come myself. Fearing the worst by now, Arjuna babbled, but why, O oh my mother? She had swayed towards him and she froze <laughs> as if he struck her. Spark of rage in her grey eyes she breathed. Mother? Did you say mother? <laughs> Stop for a moment. <laughs> Solemn Arjuna nodded. His heart and his brother Yudhishthira's voice deep inside him pulled him one way, while she and his own mad flesh pulled him another. So fiercely he fell torn in half. Somehow Arjuna stopped himself from taking her in his arms. She said, Pandava, I have seen you stare at me when we danced for you in your father's halls and on many other occasions. And now I come to you for love, love and you dare call me mother? Suddenly she seemed so cold and her near nakedness a distant thing. But now Arjuna had won his battle with himself. More levelly he said, You are the mother of my race, Apsara. That is why I stared at you thinking, that is Urvashi, who was Pururava's, <coughs> Pururava's great king. She is the mother of the Kurus, and she is far lovelier than I had imagined. I swear these were my only thoughts. Forgive me if I misled you. Great, great queen, who am I to dare think of you except as my mother? Can I ever think of myself as being your lover? Not in a thousand lifetimes. She remembered that in a long forgotten time she had loved another Kshatriya, of whom this young warrior reminded her. But that had been on earth, so after a fashion she was perhaps his mother, maybe several hundred generations or something, or several generations. That only whetted her desire more. She could feel the male in him so aroused he could hardly restrain himself from falling on her. If she was patient, she could seduce him. After all, which man was able to resist her? Which Deva, for that matter, or Gandharva had? Not Indra or any of them ever. This beautiful mortal was diffident, but she could coax him out of his shyness. Laughing softly, she said, Kshatriya, you don't know how it is with the Apsaras. We are always young. Arjuna, we never become mothers, but are just for love. I was your ancestor's lover once, but I never belonged to him or to anyone I loved. We are dancers in Indra Sabha, the courtesans of Amravati. We are here for the pleasure of all, and we are forever free. He stood mutely before her, his eyes turned down. She went on frankly. Don't imagine you are the first of your race to come to Devaloka. Many sons of Puru and his grandsons and their sons have come to Amravati because of their punya, their virtue. None of them hesitated to make love to me or to Rambha or Menaka or Tilottama. We are here to give delight. There is no shame in Indra's realm. She came towards him again. 
The dharma of the earth does not bind the apsaras. Time in Devaloka is another river. You will only sin if you spurn me. Aren't you a man? Aren't you a kshatriya? Isn't it a warrior's dharma to slake a woman's thirst when she desires him? I am not your mother or anyone sacred, Arjuna. But he stepped back from her in alarm. Ah, don't say that. You are as much my mother as Kunti is. You are as sacred to me as she is. You are the mother of all the, of all the power of us. Oh, you are beautiful past believing, Urvashi. You are desirable past all reason. But I cannot think of you as my lover, not while I am still Arjuna. He knelt before her. Forgive me, mother. Bless me, I am your son. Love froze in her blood. It shattered their fragile thing and turned to wrath. Ravaged by a frustration she had never known, like a demon in her body, she cursed him. I thought you were a man. A real man would never scorn me. When I came to you as an offering, arrogant Arjuna, if you won't have my love, let my curse be upon you instead. She was as terrible now as she had been soft and desirable a moment ago. Since you have behaved like a eunuch tonight, I curse you to become one. You will lose your manhood, Pandava, and spend your days among women, singing and dancing, but incapable of anything else. With a sob, she turned and ran out of that room where he knelt, devastated by her curse. Chapter 14, The Curse Arjuna lay curled tightly in his bed with the moon pouring in over him. Abruptly, his visit to Devaloka had turned into a nightmare. It was a fate worse than anything he could have imagined. To never be a man again, never hold a woman in his arms, to never make love to sweet Subhadra or dark Draupadi. Now and then a fit of sobbing would rack the Pandava as he lay waiting for the dawn so he could share his misery with someone. He wondered feverishly when Urvashi's curse would take effect. Would it be with sunrise? Then this was his last night as a man. Tomorrow he would be what exactly? Would his body change? Arjuna rose and paced his room as the moon set in a final flare of silver beyond his window. An hour of perfect darkness fell on Amravati, night's last Yama. The darkness heightened Arjuna's despair, so he picked up one of the quaint lamps that lit up at just a touch and went to find Chitrasena. Through the night of Amravati, the distraught Pandava walked, while the unearthly city slept around him. He came to the Gandharva's mansion, its coat of arms engraved with a golden veena and a silver sword. Since no door in Amravati bears any lock, Arjuna walked straight in. He came to Chitrasena's bedroom. In the silent night, as if to sharpen his agony, he heard noises of lovemaking beyond the door, quick breathing, a woman's moans. But Arjuna was desperate, and he knocked on the door. The sound stopped at once. There was an annoyed growl. A moment later, the door flung open, and Chitrasena stood there, a cloth around his slim waist, his long hair in disarray, his bright eyes angry. But when he saw Arjuna, he cried, Arjuna, what happened? Come on in. Come on in. <laughs> Throwing an arm around the Pandava, the Gandharva brought, brought him inside. A slender Gandharvi lay on his bed. Past his bedchamber, Chitrasena led Arjuna into another room beyond, beyond it that looked out over a river which flowed through the enchanted garden. Nandana from the glass mountains beyond. Chitrasena made Arjuna sit down. He fetched a silver flask from a cabinet and two tiny glasses. He filled them with a glimmering wine, gave one to the Pandava and sipped from the other himself. When he arrived at the Gandharva's house, Arjuna was so distressed he could hardly speak. But the wine was strong and it swept away some of the anxiety inside him. He drained the glass in a swallow and Chitrasena filled it again. When Arjuna breathed more easily, the Gandharva asked solicitously, Now tell me what happened in your father's house to disturb you like this? 
it all came tumbling out of poor Arjuna how Urvashi came to him and how he spurned her because she was the mother of his race finally he told the elf about Apsara's curse my life is over Chitrasena how can I live as a eunuch any other trial I could face any hardship but not this he buried his face in his hands and sobbed Chitrasena how will I look at Draupadi and Subhadra again or why did I come to Devaloka Calm yourself, Arjuna. Every curse is a ploy of fate. There must be a reason for it, and it will turn out to your advantage. Let me go and speak to Indra. He will know what it means. You must stay here. It will sadden him to see you like this. Chitrasena left the flask of wine beside Arjuna. Keep yourself warm. Everything will turn out for the best. Urvashi loved you. A curse will not harm you. But these assurances hardly cheered Arjuna, and he sat tensely in Chitrasena's chamber while the Gandharva went to wake Indra. What is it, Chitrasena, at this hour? said the king of the Devas when a servant roused him from sleep and the Gandharva was shown into his presence. My lord, you mistook Arjuna when you saw him gazing at Urvashi. How is that? He only looked at her because she was the ancestral mother of the Kurus. What? Sit down, Chitrasena, tell me everything. He too fetched some wine and poured two goblets for them. (laughs) Sipping the drink, Chitrasena said, I took your message to Urvashi and she went to Arjuna. She woke him as other men dream of being woken. Then what went wrong? My lord, Urvashi stood before your son and offered herself to him. But he told her he looked upon her as his mother, so he could not have her in his bed. I think she pleaded with him a little, but he knelt at her feet and begged her to forgive him. It was not that she wasn't the most beautiful woman, only he saw her as a mother. Indra gave an incredulous laugh. Are you telling me she offered herself to him and he refused her? Not you or I or the greatest rishis ever resisted Urvashi. And you say he didn't lay a hand on her? Not when she stood before him clad in little more than moonlight. I cannot believe it. Indra poured some more wine. What happened then? She coaxed him a little, but he said that for him, she was like Kunti. She was angry? This has never happened to her before. She was beside herself and she cursed him. Indra grew still. The elf went on. She cursed him that he will be a eunuch and spend his days among women singing and dancing for them. To Chitrasena's amazement, Indra smiled. Well, that is one of them taken care of, he said. What do you mean, my lord? cried the astonished Gandharva. It is the best thing that could have happened to him. What are you saying? Perhaps you haven't understood me. She has cursed him to lose his manhood. Yes, I understand, Chitrasena. Then as if he thought of it, only now he said, But the poor boy must be sick with fear. Go and fetch him here at once, Gandharva. Tell him on the way he need not be afraid that all will be well. Go on now, hurry. When Chitrasena brought an anxious Arjuna back to his father, and Indra embraced the Pandava, his son stood downcast. Indra said, Put aside this mournfulness, Arjuna. You have done what none of the Devas could ever do. What the greatest Munis and Siddhas, the noblest Gandharvas and Charanas could never do. Ah, you are more than what you seem. You must, you must be the wise, who the wise say you are. The ancient Nara come, upon, come again as a man. So the two forms of Vishnu, Nara and Narayana. Arjuna stood perplexed by his, before his father. Urvashi has cursed me that I become a eunuch. What have I done, my lord? How can you ask, my son? You resisted the most irresistible woman in Devaloka, in the heavens. Why, I could never resist her, nor could Chitrasena or any of the Devas or the Munis of heaven or earth. And you ask what you have done? Arjuna's head remained bent. But she was the first mother of my race. Had she been any other woman, I wouldn't have resisted her, nor found any cause to. 
he paused and a tear glistened in his eye. And for what uh, I did, she cursed me to lose my manhood. My Lord, I am ruined. Indra said, I have sent word to Urvashi that her curse must last only for one human year. For that year, it will see you through a time of trial. The Apsara is mollified. She regrets having cursed you. Such a smile broke out on Arjuna's face when he heard the curse would last for just a year. Chitrasena said, I don't see how the curse will help him, even if it lasts only a year. You forget the conditions of the Pandavas' exile. They must spend 12 years in the jungle, and for the 13th year they must go disguised, so no man knows them. If they are discovered, they will spend another 12 years in exile. Chitrasena murmured, Who would think of looking for Arjuna in a harem, singing and dancing among women? Arjuna breathed, My mother Urvashi has blessed me with a curse. <laughs> So I, I misspoke earlier, it's not 14 year exile, it's 13, so 12 plus 1. His heart was light again and the Pandava lived at peace in Amravati. He had the Devastras he had come for, but for now, but now a new passion seized him, an unlikely one for a Kshatriya. Arjuna wanted to excel as a musician and dancer. Chitrasena said he was one of the most gifted pupils he had ever taught. The Pandava was dedicated and tireless at practice. The Gandharva said to Indra, he wants to be perfect at everything he does. He already sings as well as most Gandharvas in Devaloka, but he isn't satisfied. I have never seen anyone so absorbed in what he learns, so utterly giving of himself. Arjuna was quickly almost as fine a musician as he was an archer. The Gandharvas are a festive folk, <coughs> and there is often night-long revelry in Amravati, in which music and dance are the main part. Soon the Kshatriya from the earth was being asked to sing with the greatest masters of, the, of Devaloka. He performed with such inspiration that there was always a cry for another song from him, and then another. Arjuna began to compose his own songs, and they described life on earth, which to many of the immortals was as exotic as the Gandharva ballads of forgotten ages were to Arjuna. Thus the days in his father's kingdom passed, but the Pandava missed his brothers, and Draupadi more than ever. He was sure they pined for him and often spoke of them to Chitrasena. But it seemed Indra could not have enough of his son. These days his life began and ended with Arjuna. Indra knew his son still had to taste the sweetest fruit Devaloka had to offer. One night, not long after, he sent Tilottama to Arjuna. She stayed with the Kshatriya till noon the next day and was full of blushes, later when asked about her time with the mortal. She could hardly wait for night to fall again to return to his bed. Arjuna confessed to Chitrasena that love with an Apsara was more climactic than with any other human woman. Yet he found something lacking in it. It is a brief love, Chitrasena, with no bond of any kind as comes from sharing a mortal life together, its joy and grief, its trials, its long, uncertain years. He smiled shyly. And from Panchali being my brother's wife as well. Surely love on earth is quieter, but it is a deeper, longer thing touched with more sorrow than ever comes to this place. Arjuna's days in Amravati were scarcely like hard times of exile, but he constantly thought of his brothers and of Draupadi. One day when Arjuna sat beside his father, the Rishi Lomasa arrived in the Sudharma. That Muni gaped at the sight that met his eyes. A mortal man, a Kshatriya by the looks of him, sat beside Indra on his ruby throne. Lomasa stood staring at Arjuna. He came forward and paid homage to the king of the Devas but his eyes strayed to the warrior who sat beside Indra. Indra raised his hand in blessing over Lomasa. With a smile he said, 
You are wondering, Muni, what tapasya has fetched a mortal to Amravati and set him on my throne. The sage nodded slowly, the thought had indeed crossed his mind. Indra laughed. Lomasa, this Kshatriya is my son, Arjuna. He only sits where he belongs, don't you think? Lomasa bowed to Arjuna. Indra had not finished. He is not just my son. His right to sit upon this throne is more than what it seems. Who is he, my lord? asked Lomasa. All the Sabha was curious to hear who else Arjuna the Pandava was. Indra said quietly, He who can resist the charms of Urvashi is no mortal, though he has a man's form for the present. Arjuna has come to learn the Devastras from me, and he has come to study music and dance. He will have need of all these when he returns to the world, for he has been born into the world to purify it. Who is he, O Indra? asked the Rishi again. You have heard the sacred names of Nara and Narayana. They sat, they sat in an immortal dhyana at the mouth of a cave in Badrikasrama. That was when the world was young. More recently, Bhumi Devi, the goddess of the earth, went to Mahavishnu to tell him upon, of the weight of evil, evil upon her. She said that if he did not lighten her burden soon, she would plunge down into Naraka, into hell, and the world would be another zone of hell. Narayana has sent himself forth as dark Krishna of the house of Vrishni, and Nara has come again as this Arjuna. The earth is full of darkness, Lomasa, full of demons and sin. Arjuna and his brothers have been born to restore the light of Dharma to men. Indra was somber. There will be a war as the Dwapara Yuga sets and the Kali Yuga rises over the world, a bloodletting like the earth has not seen in an age. No power of darkness from the Dwapara Yuga must survive into the lesser age. If even one Asura is left alive, he will be invincible in the age of evil. He will become lord of the earth and a terror in the world. Yes, Muni, there will be an awesome war at the cusp of the ages. Won't Krishna be at the war? Then why does Arjuna need the Devastras? If Krishna unleashes his power against the evil ones, the very earth will be consumed. The task is too small for him. But Arjuna will fight and he will triumph. He paused before saying, Meanwhile, I have a mission for him here in Devaloka. Arjuna turned to Indra. It was the first he had heard of any mission. Indra said, The Nivata Kavachas have grown too powerful in their city and they are invincible by the armor they wear. The Devas and Gandharvas have failed to drive them back into the deep sky from where they first came. There will be a war in Devaloka soon and Arjuna will show us his prowess. The Pandava was radiant at the very mention of battle, but again a shadow crossed his face, and Indra knew the grief that laid its hand on him. He said, Lomasa, I want to ask a favor from you for my son's sake. Lomasa said, For Nara, who has come to rid the earth of evil, anything. You see the sorrow on his face. He is anxious about his brothers and his wife who live in exile in the forest. Take word to them in the Kamyaka Aranya, Muni. Tell Yudhishthira where his brother is and that he is well. Tell him Arjuna is now a master of every astra. Arjuna beamed. Also Muni, tell my brother that I am learning music from Chitrasena. Indra said, Go and comfort Yudhishthira, Lomasa. He is soft-hearted and grieves too much for his brother. Tell him about the Nivata Kavachas and say Arjuna's mission in Devaloka will be a test for him. He fell silent and thoughtful. After a moment he mused, I think Yudhishthira and his brothers should go on a pilgrimage now. They must bathe at all the Tirthas. These are the special sacred places that Arjuna himself visited, the Tirtha Yatra that he took. Their exile ends. Let them purify themselves for the great war. 
They will need every blessing of heaven and earth that they can get. Teeming legions of evil will mass against them, and the fate of the world will hang in the balance. Let the Pandavas go on a yatra to the holiest Tirthas on earth, and good Muni, I would be pleased if you went with them on their pilgrimage. You must watch over Yudhishthira in the wilds and protect him with your Siddhis, for he must rule the world again after the war. Lomas's face lit up. <coughs> Even before he came here, he had felt fate urging him to visit Amravati. Now he knew why. He said, I will go straight away to Yudhishthira in the Kamyaka Aranya. Indra said, Let them give generous charity along their yatra. I tell you again, they will have need of every blessing they can have to turn the tide of evil back from the earth. Arjuna said, Give them my love, Muni. Tell them I miss them and that I will return to them soon. Smiling fondly at Arjuna, bowing to Indra, Lomasa left Amravati. At speed past believing, he flew along a vivid skyway, one thread of a golden web that links the entire universe. At his wish, this path set him down in the Kamyaka Aranya in half the time it had taken Arjuna to fly to Devaloka in Matali's Vimana. <coughs>